I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan. This is our global conversation in plain sight, and we are back with our favorite contributor to CD Media, David Bell. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christine. So uh, I've been on the road. You were on the road earlier this summer, and I'm still on the road for a while. So I want I want to talk about what we're hearing now, and that is that there's a COVID subvariant out there. And Pfizer has now come out and said that they've tested on some mice and it might work. But I mean, David, let's back up and, and discuss just the, about the immorality of this and the, the lack of business ethics, because we know that the FDA, CDC, NIH, NIAID, the Biden White House and the U.S. pharmaceutical companies like Moderna and Biotech, which I guess is a German company in partners with Moderna. and uh, have not admitted that their shots have caused vascular and neurological injuries, yet people are talking about what's coming next. The WHO has come out and said, okay, there's a variant 2.85. I don't know, they'll give it a name at some point because it's just like hurricanes. They're going to name this thing. But, um, you know, they're, they're coming up with another shot. They're, they're, they're putting people under pressure. You know, there's some TSA sources that have come out on some other news organizations and said, you know, they, they're hearing at the TSA level that they're going to have to wear masks coming, you know, mid-September. I mean, it's a month from now. And the WHO says that it's tracking this subvariant, and CDC says it's tracking this subvariant. What's your take on this? Because you're the expert on how these people think at the WHO and at this high level. I mean, it, it just seems absurd to me. Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm an expert. I, I, I've worked there like other people. Um, you know, I don't think anyone is an expert on what's going on now. Uh, it's I mean, we're in a very strange situation and there's a lot of ways of interpreting what's going on. Um, yeah, so it, uh, they establish an extremely successful business model. I mean, if we step back and we've discussed before, you know, WHO, et cetera, they're very heavily influenced, financed, but particularly influenced by corporate and private investors um 
these investors have established an unprecedentedly successful model for shifting wealth from the majority of the world to themselves through the last three years in COVID. They, to the tune of, you know, there's different estimates, but in the range of $2 trillion. Um, and individuals have made, you know, 100, 200 billion. So the, the people, you know, the, from a business sense, this is what they need to do. It's like, you know, if you're making shoes, you keep advertising them and you push your advertising so that you can sell more shoes, whether people need them or not. Uh, if you've got a concept like this, a, a vaccine that you can get governments to mandate and make hundreds of billions of dollars out of, then you need to keep pushing it. So, yeah, there, there, there will be, there's a new variant of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. There will be a new variant in a few months' time, a new variant months after, etc. Some of these variants will be slightly different, some will be more different because it's a coronavirus and this is what coronaviruses do and have always done. So we also have strong immunity even before um, SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, there's a nature paper that showed that recently that about 20% of people never got even COVID because despite not being exposed to this particular coronavirus, right. they've been exposed to other coronaviruses, et cetera, and genetically they're predisposed to be resistant to it. We have CDC studies from, you know, the first two years of COVID that show that post-infection immunity and other studies show, show that post-infection immunity is very strong, is very broad, particularly to the proteins, you know, the not spike, but the other proteins that are more conserved, so they change less from one variant to another. And that it lasts at least two to three years. And we know that you know, SARS-1 lasts about 20 years at least, right. the, the immunity. So we can be confident that everyone who is, almost everyone who's been infected with COVID, with the COVID virus in the last few years, has good functional uh, natural immunity. CDC have shown that adding a um, more immunity to the spike protein through the vaccines, mRNA vaccines, is um, makes so little difference on top of that that you can almost not measure it. And they, this study is published by CDC. So we can be very confident that almost everyone on Earth now has functional natural immunity to COVID as they do to, to the COVID virus, as they do to other coronaviruses, which is why we don't die from these other coronaviruses as well. We're exposed to them regularly. Another variant comes out, we're exposed to that, but because we're quite immune already, it doesn't affect us very badly. SARS-CoV-2 COVID has become endemic. It's gonna be this way forever. Like the other coronaviruses, of course, common colds. So we can accept that and move on with life and actually deal with the stuff that, say, WHO used to deal with, which is stuff that kills far more people at far younger ages, like, you know, tuberculosis, malaria, HIV, diabetes, etc. Or we can go along with the corporate model of public health where you focus on something like this, where you can always measure differences you've essentially captured the media, the biggest advertisers in media are the pharmaceutical industry. Sure. And the biggest owners of media are the investment houses, particularly BlackRock and Vanguard, that own most of the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. So 
we can go along with that business model instead in which you measure something like a coronavirus that you know will keep mutating. And every time a mutation comes up, you say, you know, you scare people and you make sure people are aware there's a virus out there by saying you should wear a mask, which we know from multiple studies show mm -hmm. it make in the community make you know, no measurable difference to outcomes. But they make people realize that there's something strange and something to be scared of. So you push that, you push vaccine mandates, et cetera. Um, and you make another two, three, four hundred billion dollars every time a new variant comes out through mandated vaccines. So th that's the other model that we can follow. And we can do that and we will greatly enrich a small number of people who will do very, very well out of this and have done very well out of COVID. And we will gradually impoverish the rest of society and degrade human rights and democracy. But, so we have those two choices. And I think at the moment we're sort of in the area where, you know, there's one block wants to go one way towards fascism. There's another block that wants to go towards basic freedom and democracy. And we're sort of at a tipping point. So the, pushing this variant as something, you know, another existential threat to humanity is, so, is a push by the fascist side to try to get us down that path. But uh, I'm hopeful that enough people now see what is going on to actually question this. Well, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to me because I, you know, as, as a journalist, you know, I'm, I can be sarcastic and I can be cynical because I, I just want to think to myself, do these guys really think that they can pull this off on a second round? I mean, they, they must be so removed from reality when there's such a hesitation and just in Western civilization alone that people are really going to fall for this. And that that's the part I just I just cannot wrap my head around that do people do these people really think that the human race is this stupid? Well, I mean they war, they were 2020 was a was a wake up. Exactly, call. it works. Yeah. So are they are they really detached from reality? Um you know, the Faust Swap, the World Economic Forum, which is one of the big backers of this new way of life that they want to see. Um, you know, he had said he has infiltrated, I think that was his word. Mm -hmm. multiple cabinets and he's given examples you know Argentina Canada blah 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 etc yeah most of the English speaking democracies especially damn near Western um, civilization is what we're talking about yeah yeah so so he he boasts that he has taken over a lot of the governments um and it's clear that you know it, it appears that he probably has or that those around him um you know, so they have that. They have the media very strongly behind them, the mainstream media. They have, you know, we see YouTube now saying they will they will block, they will censor anything that is against WHO recommendations. So you cannot even question WHO recommendations anymore. So let's, let's, let's talk so about that because you can't really sue the WHO either. That's what people don't understand. Yeah. It comes underneath no. the umbrella of the UN. I have yeah. I have led, you know, human trafficking investigations, uh, which you know the the UN peacekeeping forces were involved in, and those are not just people that are coming from Rwanda working in Bosnia, but Americans coming from Ohio and Atlanta working in Bosnia and buying kids. So <clears throat> that was over twenty years ago. So it's really really hard. You can expose corruption. We know about the Kofi, uh, when Kofi Annan ran the UN, the oil uh, fraud 
that was there. We know about the Global Fund of, to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria that had their own internal inspector generals who came out with their report, and they were slammed. You know, So the messenger always gets slammed when you go after the UN. That's just kind of like the name of the game and the beast that we have before us. But for YouTube to say that you can't criticize the WHO, I mean, that, that is, that's kind of new. That's kind of new. What, what, why the WHO? They, they think this is the temple yeah. of God? Well, it is pretty interesting. Yeah, they, they did have it over COVID. They, re, they changed it to make it just anything, any health mm -hmm. advice from the WHO. Yeah, the frontal lobotomies used to be the thing. You know, someone got a right. Nobel Prize for that. Um, lying all babies, you know, flat on their stomach, et cetera. And, um, you know, you turn them over and let's die. Um, yeah. But that was the advice. You know, there's numerous examples. I mean, pregnant women should smoke was a medical advice a few mm -hmm. decades ago. So, you know, what they're sort of almost saying is we'll, we'll cancel the Renaissance, we'll, we'll stop modern science, and we'll go back to dogma. And we will do, and public health just has to be dogma. It's a, I mean, it's ludicrous to say you can't question the WHO. How on earth is the WHO and public health going to progress? You know, David, I, I want to share with you in the audience. I, I, I'm not through this book yet, but but I'm reading it. I, I'm very interested in the eugenicist arguments, nature versus nurture, going back about you know 100 years ago or more. And I'm reading a book called The Orphans of Davenport, Iowa. And it was an accepted practice that you know this was hereditary if you had a child who who was mentally or emotionally challenged. This is in the 20s and 30s. And then they came in some some scientists to challenge it. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm past the, yeah. the apex point where, yes, they, they realized that nature could really help a child who had a lower IQ and abandoned mother, a mother was an addict or something like that. And if they put them around even people who had lower IQs, but they were nurtured, nurturing mm -hmm. really brought up the IQ of children. But it wasn't accepted yeah. at that point in time by the eugenicists. And I've, I've started to take a deep dive yeah how eugenicists really think because there seems yeah. to be and snobbery is not the right word it's a caste mentality of how you yes. look at people and it, you're coming from the medical and the science background Do, are those conversations out there among scientists and doctors where it's 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 looking down on people in terms of caste have you have you ever seen that because I think that we're at a yeah. time and place here where we have to recognize there are there is an a eugenicist attitude mm. to what is going on right now because people are expendable or they're looked down upon or um, yeah. and, and we saw it just when they were rolling out the vaccinations. You know, we had crazy people like Don Lemon go on television and say you should die or something like that. I mean, it was it was it was just yeah. vilifying people for just making their own choices in life. Yeah, yeah, there, there's um, there's some shorts put out the other day on, you know, stand-up comedians who are vilifying people and making jokes about people for, you know, doing their own research or asking questions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's incredible that, that you can do that. So, yeah, you eugenicists, know, people forget eugenicists was mainstream public right. health. In the 1920s and 30s, not that long ago. That's right. And, and, and yeah, the John Hobson School of Public Health started on eugenics. This yeah. was normal. It was accepted practice in North America. 
that you would force sterilize people of lower IQ because that would be for the good of society, for the greater good. Right. And, and people, and this people was have done. to remember that when Hitler adopted his eugenicist-like, yeah. it ended up being genocide, but eugenicist-like attitudes, he was yeah. actually copying that which was developed here in the United States at the time. Yes, and he was considered progressive. The New York Times backed him very strongly. He was man of the year in Time magazine. People forget people, that. People, people forget they, this, they yes. forget this. You know, this generation that, you yeah. know, in America we have 75 million Americans that were born, you know, after 1990. So they don't even know the world pre-internet. But because yeah. they don't understand the whole eugenicist, it's like they there are even more people who don't understand eugenicist and the history of it and how we it was so mainstream at the time in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, and it's mainstream in humanity. I mean, the idea, you know, from feudal times onwards, that the idea that you have and the technocracy movement, which is part of this in North America as well, which was very strong in the 20s and 30s, is something like half a million members of, you know, the official technocracy movement and the medical professions were overrepresented in them as they were in the Nazi party in Germany. So, so this is a thread that runs very strong in traditionally in medicine that this sort of, it's a, you know, it's an idea of superiority that we are better educated and, you know, it, to get into medical school, you're in the top few percent out of yeah. you know, high school or whatever, what exam system you have. So you go in there thinking you're more clever than other people. And then you're, this is reinforced. And the idea that you're in charge of other people's, you know, whether they live or die, can easily sort of infect your brain and make you think that you're somehow superior to the average person. So this is pretty normal for humans and you know people in medicine are just humans do you, so, do you think the inter, the injection of having behavioral scientists uh you know what, what's the name of the guy jeremy ferrara from welcome trust he ran welcome trust he's close to peter dashik and the rest of these these people are involved with the coronavirus hunting community he is, he's been named to be the scientist, the head scientist at WHO, but then there's a woman who belonged to a communist party, and I always forget her name. She has been hired by WHO yes. to be the behavioral scientist. And when, that, when they made yeah. that announcement, I thought to myself, is there going to be an, an influx of influence now on how do we get people to do what they want to do because they may not come back the second time because we really didn't get it down straight, you know, and that's why we have people hesitating about the boosters and the and the shots now. Do you, I mean, do, this is this a constant, you know, I, I guess a conscious campaign that you can foresee the WHO pushing? It is, yes. And. Yeah, Susan, um, oh, sorry, I've forgotten her last name, but she, she was in SAGE, which was the advisory group in the UK on COVID before she went to the WHO. So, yeah, I mean, I've been involved in behavioural um, science in the past, and it's, you know, I thought a lot about it through COVID. We sort of accepted it in public health. So, yeah, you could be a bit uncomfortable about it, but, the you know, if you want to... If you go to the basics, if you want people to use a bed net because we have evidence that it protects them from malaria, sure. then you can tell them you should use a bed net because it will protect you from malaria and that might work. Or you can sort of trick them in a way 
through some other means that you might think more is more effective. Use a bed net for some other reason. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it'll make you, I don't know, but that's but or that, handsome. But, but, but you can say that and you can justify it to yourself because what you're doing is for the good of that person. So you start, you can start either lying or not being completely straightforward with that person in order to do something for their good. And it sort of seems on the surface as a good idea, but it leads down a path where, I mean, first you have to say, you have to be comfortable that you're not telling the full truth and you, that you're deciding that person should use a bed net for malaria, even if they don't want to, you know. I mean, what, what I think you should do is be honest and say, this is why you use it. This is what it's for. You decide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, so once you go down this path, and we saw it with COVID very strongly, they, and it's come out in the UK, they, you know, the people on the SAGE who were pushing this have admitted it was wrong. That they used fear. So they, they, you know, including getting people to wear masks so that you walk down the street and everyone's got a mask on their faces, it covered it. But, but, you, but the arguments that they used, David, the arguments that they used for the mask were not based upon science. No, they they're not. That's the point. You can lie to people. Yeah, you can lie to people in all, for the greater good. And that's the idea of this. So you get them, you instill fear. You tell them everyone is a risk, even though you know that is a lie. You mm -hmm. tell them masks are the most effective way of stopping the virus, even though you know that is a lie. You say stay six feet apart, always walk in this direction, in that aisle, in that direction, that aisle, in that, you know, and stuff like there. that. Right. Even though you have overwhelming evidence that it makes no difference. And you say that because you think somewhere, if you make everyone really scared, they might do something which will make them better off against COVID. So, so that was the idea. So not everyone doing this was being nasty to people. They, they thought that because they have superior knowledge or the people talk, telling them what to do have superior knowledge, they should follow that rather than being honest with people and letting people decide their own sort of risk-benefit analysis. So, but, I think, but I think we're at a tipping point right now because, and I, I know I hammer this and I'm going to keep on talking about it, but the fact that the FDA, the CDC, the NIH and, and the, the, the cabal has not recognized the injury, the vascular and the neurological injuries officially. To me, that's not helping for the greater good. They're lying to people because the vaccines yeah. are vascular, neurological, and cardio related. And it's not just one issue that these people have, it's multiple issues and they change over time. I mean, I interviewed a woman uh, in January of 2021 and by December of 2022. So it's two full years. All of a sudden she had tremors in her body, but she had, her sight was okay, but her eyeballs were shaking for the first time, you know? So it, it's, yeah. and, she, and she hasn't been fully diagnosed for, you know, what's wrong with her body. Even, you know, in her first shot and she was told not to get the second shot of Pfizer in January of 2021 during the early rollout. She's part of the healthcare community. So I, I sit back and I think to myself, all right, so there's this eugenicist, you know, looking down at people and you know, for the greater good, we're going to sterilize people because their IQs are lower. That's a, that's a, that's a hard one for me. That's a hard one for me. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I think, I, I think this is wrong. I'm, wrapping, I'm, try, I'm yeah. seriously trying to wrap my brain around how do these people think? Because I don't think unless we understand how they see humanity yeah. and they don't see the faces and they do they 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 judge according to their standards and they impose according to their standards. I remember years yeah. ago, one of my um, older brothers was in the Peace Corps in the early, early days of the Peace Corps in the 60s. And early on, the Peace Corps in theory was a great idea. But what would happen is that they would be, they would be the ugly Americans who would go into another country and dictate to the tribal chief how yeah. they were going to put in the water system. And what they didn't realize was that because they weren't sensitive to the tribe, when they put in the water system, they broke down the communication system for the tribe where the women gathered by the river every day. All right. So the cultural differences, the nuances that we have across the world from cultural and practices and tribals, I just I, I cannot see how these people, the WHO is an international body of people. They have they can't be this unconscious. Yeah. So and this is why the whole thing is wrong. I mean, public health needs to be community based, not dictated from the center. Um, mm -hmm. But, but uh, what I'm saying is I, I don't think all the people involved in it see that they are wrong. <clears throat> they, 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 haven't they, believe, they, they haven't thought I think the people at the very top who are making the hundreds of billions of dollars, yeah, I mean, they just need to make hundreds of billions of dollars, basically. Mm -hmm. But the people under them, they're brainwashed like everyone else, a lot of them. And a, a lot of them think that there is a greater good, and they, don't, they haven't just spent the time to stop and think. That it's ingrained into them that they are superior. And uh, this is a whole colonialist mentality, isn't it? Like you were just explaining, with, you know, some aspects of Peace Corps, et cetera. There are NGOs out there that specialize in sending 23 year olds straight out of Global Health College to be, you know, advisor to the Minister of Health in, you know, X country in Sub Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is a colonialist mentality. It's an elitist mentality, which is what eugenics comes from. It's the idea that we, that some people, somehow because they happen to be at this moment in the development of society wealthier, you know, with the West is at the moment, it wasn't always wealthier than Africa it is at the moment, then somehow we're smarter and we're superior in intellect and superior in education and we have a right to tell other people what to do and um it, it's within society the uh, the idea that we can tell people who have lower you know manual jobs or etc and there's a you know you look at the sort of the you know what what the people that call themselves publicly left-wing in the us now which i mean i would I see myself as alternatives, but I, 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 I don't support big pharma necessarily, you know, or large corporations or technocracy. So it's a different sort of left somehow. But a lot of people who claim to be left wing are, you know, really denigrating, you know, these sort of folk songs that have come out recently, sort of complaining about how low-income people being pushed down and in a hard way um that they're they're identifying with the very wealthy and denigrating sort of the rednecks or whatever the you know whatever denigratory term they 
give well, to it's people. That, that, it's, it's a, yeah, it's people it's who live in trailer thing. parks because they only have enough money to live in a trailer park for right. all sorts of complicated reasons. Well, it's, as it's, soon as you say trailer park in the US, you think these people are inferior, mm. but they're not. They just happen to be living in a trailer park because that's where their home is at the moment. So, um, yeah, there's a, I mean, I think humans are naturally like this, but we have been, you know, since the Second World War and what happened in Nazi Germany, there is people sort of realize where this ends up. And as you said, there's a generation now that have no, they've forgotten, I mean, two or three generations from that, they've we've forgotten what this leads to. So we well, just not, not only that, down again. When you know, when people focus on on what Hitler and the Nazis did in the camps, and you know, people people being transported in the trains and the screams coming from the trains, those went through villages, and when they had the gas chambers, those were outside of villagers, and there were billows, you know, clouds billowing with with stench. You know, people sat by and they 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 didn't do anything about it because they were paralyzed. They were afraid that they may end up there next. They didn't know how to stand up to the Nazi regime yeah. at the time. But we know that this is not going to end well if it keeps on going down this trajectory, if this game is continuing to be played, because we're seeing the commodification of human beings. We're seeing an uptake in fascist thinking um, yeah. in terms of people buying into this pharma game and for the billionaires making money. And it's not just the guys we're working at farmers. It's the people that hold the portfolios, like you said, Vanguard, BlackRock. It, we know that the, you know people's personal portfolios. If they if they have stock in Pfizer, they're they're, they're having a game buster. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's it's not just the guys that are in the game. It's the people who are making money off the game. Yes, we're see, we're seeing yeah. the denigration of human beings and commodifying. I mean, I have said this, and, and God knows I'm doing my research on it, but I do believe, and I have concluded, this is medical trafficking. It's just like human beings. If you take a human being, you defraud them, coerce them, you force them, you make money off of them. It doesn't matter whether it's labor, sex, organ trafficking. This just happens to be in the medical field. Yeah, I think you're right. You're using them just as a vehicle to make money. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we saw, so, you know, clearly we're not at the, the level that the Nazis went to. But, you know, we, we saw in New, in New York or elsewhere in the US, for instance, that, you know, restaurants were closed to, you know, the majority of some ethnic minorities because they happened not to be vaccinated with a vaccine that we knew didn't even stop transmission. So, I mean, there, there's no reason to... Right, so you're an unvaccinated person. Unvaccinated person, it's just ludicrous. Well, it's so fraud. It, 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 it was fraud, uh, and it ended up being discrimination. It was the the whole argument was based upon fraud because yeah, they yeah. weren't safe and effective for everybody. Yeah, they, but people fact, were willing. To, people were willing to go along with that to stop these ethnic minorities from you know majority of them from going to restaurants, from going to sporting events. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we closed schools with overwhelming evidence that it makes no difference to transmission and that teachers were not at risk from children. We, we closed schools knowing that their wealthy white kids with their own computer and their own bedroom, blah, 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 would do well, mm -hmm. but relatively, but the poor black children in right. DC, where you know, right. there's evidence of this, where they looked at it, 
who may be three to a bedroom and may have a single parent who has to work will be decimated in terms of their education. And that will set back these ethnic minorities for another two, three generations. So we knew that before we did it, but society was willing to let that happen. You know, what's interesting in the research I'm doing right now and, and during, you know, the, the 1920s, 30s eugenicism, they knew that education was very important for children. That was part mm. of that. And, and they found that out because when it was nature versus nurture for the IQs, they knew that the social interaction and the learning and the attention that they would find, even if these were children that were institutionalized or orphaned, that their IQ went up. So, I mean, this is the, 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 the argument that we used in 2020 was well known and established by psychologists, by eugenicists, historical, by the medicine people that knew under, that understood this, by behavioral scientists that knew under, that understood it, and also by educators. So, you know, when when I'm when I'm in some of the papers that I'm finding now historically, I'm wondering what are these people at the American Federation of Teachers and the NEA, the National Education Association, what were they thinking? I mean, this is their arena. Do they not know their history? The same way that, you know, I'll, I'll take all the bricks in the world because I've been very critical of my, my brethren and the legacy media. I mean, I was part of that for decades. I know that they're lying because we always challenged. Yeah. We always yeah, challenge yeah. vaccinations. Yeah, and, and, you know, obviously the health field as well. Um, is it is are they banking, David, that that, that nobody's going to have the curiosity? Are they banking that no one's going to challenge it based upon historical facts? I mean, do we do we need a, a do you think if is it even possible at this point in time to have an overhaul on the ethics and the history of medicine? Yeah, it's always possible. I think there's two important things here. One is yeah, one is like you're saying. Um, there are a whole lot of factors that affect a person's IQ or their ability to, you know, do well in education, et cetera. The other one is that that's irrelevant to the value of the person. So, I mean, you've from, got from, to step from, back and- from the, from the eugenicist point of view. Yeah, from the eugenicist point of view, they think that it's, it's everything. Um, but they also, they have their own families and they want their kids and their families and their friends to do better then, you know, there's an elitist, obviously, element to this. It's not really about the good of the human race. It's about their own benefit. But, the, I mean, what we've got to remember and what supposedly happened after the Second World War though, is that we, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, et cetera, is that everyone is of equal value, full stop. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how good you are at chess or at maths or at physics mm -hmm. or at playing tennis or at um, kicking around in the mud somewhere, you know, digging a hole. It, it doesn't matter. You're still exactly the same value. And, you know, there are, I think, as we said, getting away from the Second World War is part of this. Uh, the, the fact that we've, um, we, uh, since, you know, the 1970s, you see, we've seen, this huge increase in inequality in society. So we've got now we have individuals who are as rich as whole countries, mm -hmm. and that is yeah you know, an inevitable um, 
inevitably you go towards an elitist sort of state then because they will fund what is for their benefit and that just grows on itself you know and COVID was the extreme example of that where they they massively concentrated the wealth that was left in the rest of the world towards themselves um so yeah, it's a uh, yeah the How do we get out of, how do, how do we get, I, I mean, this isn't going to, you know, this isn't one conversation that we're going to have, but I mean, yeah. I think somehow we have to turn this tide to let people know there is some historical philosophy for lack of a better word, that, that what's happening today embraces that historical philosophy of yeah. And, and it's it may- real. It's real. it's real and it may be the normal way of human society you know the the feudal world peasants etc this was normal yeah so we've been through a few generations that have been exceptional in much of the world mm-hmm. where equality has actually been a thing um right so i mean the other thing you know we we now have in the west we, we've seen these career politicians so you know i know australian politics best because i grew up there you know, like we had a prime minister who was a shearer and you know there are prime ministers, prime ministers who was a pilot etc you know so there were normal people who when they got into the 40s or something went into politics and they had you know half the life of general experience in the community behind them now in almost all english-speaking countries at least we have these career politicians who are in student politics go straight into politics. And, you know, we have some in the US that have been in politics for 50 years. So... That's all, the, that's all they've known. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's all they've, all they've known. So we have that. We have this in a growing inequality, etc. So we're setting up a society where it's inevitably elitist rather than what was supposed to happen, which is, you know, everyone, however good you are at, you know, academic stuff or sport or manual labor or something you have an equal say in the governance of the country that is what was supposed to happen in a democracy and you know, it has its faults but it seems to be the most stable and successful way of running a country well and the yeah. irony the irony is that the, the the universal human rights was the the base the mission of the un the mm-hmm. who comes under the un and all of a sudden yeah. Now, you know, when the the Universal Declaration was in 1948, if my memory is correct. And so, you know, fast forward to where we are today and 70 years later, almost 70 years later, we're, we're saying you can't criticize the WHO. The WHO can be criticized because you can criticize a human being. Yeah. We're not infallible. That's like that's like saying you, if you're a Catholic, you, you know, you have to believe in the infallibility of the Pope. I mean, I hate yeah. to tell all the exactly. Catholics, no, it's exactly right. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the infallibility of the Pope was not created by the teachings of Jesus. It was created by man in the 1800s. So, yeah. you know, th- this is this is all of a sudden we have the infallibility. No, I mean, it, it, it's that, that's a very Jesus, dangerous but... concept. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that is against the teacher of Jesus, just as the idea that you can't question the WHO is against basic human rights and the idea that free speech is supposedly sacrosanct. And unfortunately, right. in the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, there's a clause. I think it's um, Article 29, 
which says but what the UN wants overrides everything else. So, which was put in, you know, because the, I mean, there are sort of, there's a behind WHO, behind the UN, et cetera, I think most of the intent was good, but there were elements there that also saw this as a potential way that, you know, if you can run, if you can start to own these organizations, you can really get back to the fascism that they're after all along. Um, so, there is that escape clause which is in there. Um, it has, it, I don't think it's removed. ever been fully tested though, because you also have to have the member states voting on it in the Security Council. But I, you know, the concept. You yeah, should, yes. The, con the concept is in there as if they have the final say. Um, remember, the member states are the cabinets that Klaus Schwab himself claims to have infiltrated. That's right. That's right. So that's where the problem lies because the members, if the member states are true open democracies, that all works really well. But if they're not, I mean, half the UN is actually dictatorships anyway. The other half on paper are democracies, but certainly in the Western world are increasingly, yeah, there's an increasing gap between the political class and the, the average person. That's true. That's true. What are you hearing about? Uh, Everything is going on at the WHO. I mean, do they feel that they're that they're going to move forward? They're going to they're going to get they're going to win on these international health regulation amendments. Do they? What are you hearing on the gossip side of this behind the scenes? No, no I mean, I think most people at the WHO they don't really understand what's going on. Um, they're just doing a job. <laughs> you know, the WHO is a tool, as the UN is a tool. Mm -hmm. You know, if the World Economic Forum and you know the large farmer and the p the some of the private investors in who if they all suddenly said okay we're going to stop all this we're going to go back to just evidence-based medicine we're going to concentrate on the big burden diseases and put all our resources there we hardly ever have pandemics and you know in things like zika killed almost no one actually so in terms of you know globally sars one killed 700 800 people out of the whole world Malaria kills three times that every day and their children. So yeah, they could say, we'll go back to these big burden things that actually do the most harm to people and we'll go back to community-based medicine. If they said that, then everyone in the WHO would say, yeah, that's a great idea. They'd go and do that. They're just doing what they're told. It's a, they're a tool for whoever funds it, essentially. So at the moment, they're being funded and heavily influenced by private and corporate donors and some countries that are very heavily invested in, you know, Germany is one of the biggest funders. It's heavily invested in BioNTech, et cetera. So they're being steered towards this sort of commoditized, centralized health where, you know, you make a huge deal out of every viral variant and then push a vaccine for it and make lots of money for your sponsors. And they're all working for that because that's, their job at the moment. If they well, if it's their if job. The it's, change, I would change. It, but it's it's their job. But also, when we have the Biden administration, and we we've, we have had these documents since September of 2021, through the Office of Science and Technology, their one of their goals is to have a policy for a seasonal mandated Corona vaccination. So if that's the if that's the end product then the business model that they have in 
you know, motion right now and that they want to go for round two, I guess we want to call this round two, uh, since, you know, 2020, you know, it may work, but the problem is it's not necessary because it's just, it's a, it's a reoccurring economic money yeah. model. For, it's a, that's for the point. It's a business. It's a business thing. It's not a public health thing. It's and that's that, and that's that's why I I call it medical trafficking because it's they're forcing people. They're lying to people. They're defrauding yeah, yeah. people. You know, and and they're killing people because when you do this, when you divert resources, and, and it's not just the money that you know, the, the manpower. The, I mean, the Covax program, the mass vaccination for global for um. COVID-19 was by far the biggest program, public health program ever. So mm -hmm. in terms of money, so you divert that money, that money's coming from somewhere. It's coming from taxpayers, making them poorer. It's coming from other aid programs so that there's less money for more, for diseases to kill more people. Um, you're also diverting the human resources, which was supposed to be, you know, UNICEF was supposed to be there for children. And they were the implementers of the COVAX program. So rather than concentrating on children, they were concentrating on getting these vaccines out to hundreds of millions of people who they knew were already immune to the virus and half of whom were less than 20 years old. So they weren't at risk anyway. And who these the same populations had increasing mortality from Malaria at the time, increasing mortality from tuberculosis, from malnutrition, and the concentration was on selling a vaccine, essentially, you know, pushing a vaccine that the world was paying for. So, yeah, that that's not a public health. It's not a rational public health response. It's a business. Let's talk about that because I can I can hear the audience asking themselves, David, what were the what are the diseases where they should have put the money? I know, I know you're a specialist in, in infectious diseases and malaria. Was malaria, tuberculosis in the pockets of the world where they're still active? Well, if, tu yeah. Tuberculosis is the biggest infectious disease killer on earth. It kills about over one and a half million people every year. So when they took when they took their resources for COVID and they put it towards COVID, they didn't have the resources for the tuberculosis, which they have known. Is it there are less, yeah, there are less resources for those. Um, tuberculosis is going up because they and because they also close the clinics, etc. In this sort of instilling fear um, job they did, they closed clinics, stopped people traveling, interrupted supply lines. So less clinics open. So if you've got a cough, you know, the important thing about tuberculosis is that if you, you start to have a cough, you get diagnosed early. There is effective treatment. Mm -hmm. um, is complicated treatment but it's effective and if you're on that it will stop you from infecting other people so when you close the clinics and you stop the diagnosis and the treatment you're not just harming that person they're coughing on their family and their community so you're increasing the spread so we'll see an increase in tuberculosis over the next few years which is inevitable hiv is similar um malaria yeah is it went up in 2020 2021 so an extra and on WHO figures, an extra seventy or eighty thousand children died each year. Um, so, is there a reflection among the people who make these decisions? Are they going to say and admit at any point that, like, we really screwed up? 
Are they going to say uh, let's rethink this, so. or are they just going to push it through just to get it, just to get this this next round too of people inoculated? Yeah. Uh, I, I think for a lot of people, it's it's like a game. And oh, I know for some people it is a game because I've been in organisations where you know, it was essentially like a game. And, you know, we're the rich people with the important funder and it's fun going and, you know, travelling and it's fun being picked up in cars with fancy markings on the door and staying in five-star hotels. And, um, you know, on the side you can tell people that you are saving children's lives and everyone likes you because of that. So you're a hero as well. And people get sucked into this. Oh, people, it's just, again, this is human. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, you know, when I was in WHO, people say, gee, that's good. I mean, mm-hmm. why? Because I was traveling business class, staying in nice hotels, <laughs> which is what you do in WHO mm-hmm. versus, you know, the people who live in the trailer park and work to clean up the garbage in your street so that you don't, um, yeah, that's why we live longer, because we have better sanitation in the West. That's the primary reason, better nutrition, better sanitation. We have better sanitation because people, manual labourers, do that. And that's make right, sure that and they are very thankful yeah. for the elitists because they clean up the streets. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they're as important to public health. Absolutely. But they don't get business class travel, they don't stay in five-star hotels, so they're ignored. Um, and that they're treated as something much lower. So, um, so when you're in that world, it's very hard to. Um, it's very hard not to accept that. Okay, yeah, it may not be perfect, but you know, you'll stay there and you'll do your job because you might be doing some good, and it is fun to travel. Sure. And you also, I mean, you've got kids in the school and you've got 75% education subsidies up to when they do a PhD anywhere in the world, so it's hard to be. You've got very good medical insurance. You live in nice countries mostly and in very nice houses. You get rent subsidies, um, living allowances on top of your very good salary. You can even get tax-free petrol and tax-free food in a lot of these organisations. So. It's very hard to, you know, when people in that situation, they find reasons to justify being there. Well, we because need it's, it's, it's living the dream. It's hard to get out of. Sure. And, that's, and, and the thing is, it's understandable. But at some point, when you realize that people are consciously and without a conscience living their lives, that's adding to the misery and the deaths of innocent people. It, you know, th- there has yeah. to be a tipping point and there has to be a moral conscience that, that has to rise up above all of this. And that's what I'm trying to work through when we do these conversations, because, yeah. I, you know, when I hear when I hear now recently, oh, we may have masks back on in you know, mid-September or something like that <laughs> for the next rollout. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, here we go again. And we know what masks do to child development. That's and right. There, there is very good data in the Western world that. Child development has been put, yeah, has been put back very significantly, and this will affect them for the rest of their lives, particularly communication development. And we don't hear that. We don't hear, uh, you know, what we should be saying is, oh, well, should we put another two or three years of children back in their development for the rest of their lives? Should we do that? Because that's what we're doing if we if we start using masks again. 
Absolutely. You know, if Absolutely. we start having lockdowns, you know, how many more children do we want to die of malaria? Because mm-hmm. this is the equation that this is about. David Bell, you always make us more, you know, more smarter than we are at the beginning of a show because you get into the depth of, you know, the conversation that, that I, I think is enjoyable for our audience, which is, you know, what's the cost of, of what we've gone through and what's the cost going, you know, into the future with us if we don't change our ways. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for joining us. Is there anything more, David, that you want us to know that we don't know? Any reflections? No. No, I mean, just that people need to keep telling the truth and not obey stuff that is obviously stupid. And, you know, a lot of the COVID stuff was stupid. If it, so it, it may not work. You know, don't wear masks if masks are a stupid idea, yeah, mm-hmm. which we have very good evidence for. And then we know that they could be harmful. So don't do, yeah, we have to stop complying with stuff that we know is wrong. And that's when all this stops. David Bell. Thank you very much. As you know, we love having you on the show. Thanks for too. I'll see you.